0: This is the MoneyWeb. Be a Better Investor Podcast. Picking the brains of professional investors on their investment strategies, successes, and mistakes. Your host, Rick Fanika. Welcome to this week's edition of the Be a Better Investor Podcast. It's the podcast where I speak to professional investors about their investment journeys and why they pursued a career in managing other people's money. We also discuss how they approach the management of their own money as well as their best and worst investments ever. And the idea is to find those golden nuggets from their perspectives and experiences to assist amateur retail investors to become better investors. My guest today is Jeanette Marais. She is the CEO of Momentum Metropolitan. And I hope I'm not giving her age away, but she has been in the investment industry for nearly 35 years she started at Momentum in 1990, she had a stint at Stanlip, and then she moved to Alan Gray as an executive director, and she spent 11 years at Alan Gray. In 2018, she returned to her roots at Momentum, which at that stage had become Momentum Metropolitan and she was recently appointed as the new CEO of the company. Jeanette, thank you so much for joining me, and thanks for your time. It has be, indeed been a long investment journey, but just give us a bit of a background. Where did you grow up, and when did you decide you wanted a career in the investment world?
1: Hello, right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, so, girl from a farm in the free state? I grew up, my dad, my grandfather was a farmer. My father took over from him and I grew up on that farm. So I think the one thing that, you know, I've been asked these questions quite a bit over the last, you know, two, three weeks since the announcement of the CEO position that I've been appointed in, just, you know, where did this all come from? And I think the one thing I can say is that I really didn't have any role models in Financial services, definitely not. But even not in business. You know, when you grow up in the southern free state, I mean, the most professional people you probably know are your teachers and, you know, maybe maybe the Duamne. So for me, it really has been kind of a career that I carved out myself. And I mean, you ask me when did I decide? I think there's often synchronicity or, you know, luck involved too. My first job was at Momentum. And in a way, I stumbled into an, a fantastic industry rather than almost to have chosen that as a career. So it's kind of developed over yeah the last 33 years.
0: So you didn't grow up in a household where investments were discussed often and where you were part of the financial planning, for example, of, of, of the family.
1: It's a yes and a no answer. Um, I'm the oldest of five kids, and I always was a bit of a, you know, I always loved mathematics and, you know, did well at school. So my dad did use me often in conversations. And I guess, you know, there was maybe, a, a yeah, some of the learnings that I've had there. But, you know, let me explain that. So never investments. On a farm, all of the investment is always back in the farm. It's back in buying more cattle or sheep or another piece of land, but it. I can't say that I ever grew up in a world where there was any investments made. I guess my father also believed, you know, the farm is his pension and that will look after himself. I mean, that's a whole conversation all by itself. And he had an, an absolute aversion to debt. So my father, to him, the worst thing in the world was debt. And, you know, when I look back at it today, I think, you know, there's some truth in it, but, you know, there's not just bad debt. Some debt are actually good debt where he would rather have waited, you know, another three or five years to buy the tractor, but he never bought it. Um, he never, yeah, I mean, he, he, if he couldn't buy cash, he didn't do it. So that was it. But investment, no, not at all.
0: When did you buy your very first share or made your first investment with money you have made?
1: Okay, so I'm um, actually, when I, when I thought about it last night, I thought it is actually quite amazing. I should mention it. I'm one of those lucky people who has earned a salary and I knew what it was every single month since March 1990 when I started my first job at Momentum. I've also earned a bonus every single year of the last 33 years, but that is it. I've never inherited money. I've never made money on the side. I've never had anything else. Actually, everything I have today was built up in the very traditional way of a contribution to a pension fund every single month since March 1990. And that is actually what has become quite comfortable, sizable portfolio today. Your question, when did I buy my first share? Actually, when I left Momentum in 1999, I worked at PSG. And our equity fund manager there, um, actually to this day manages my equity portfolio and we'll go to that now. But um Louis um recommended that if I had a little bit of money which I had then, you know, from from a bonus, that I invested in Nasbash. So I was a well, it wasn't early then, but early for me. My very first share was bought totally on the recommendation of someone that I knew and trusted. And I still have those NASPAS shares to this day.
0: And you should have paid, if I remember correctly, about twenty-three Rand for one of those shares. Uh, Currently, it's over 3,000.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I've never taken dividends. The dividends was always reinvested to buy more. It was one of those things, you know, and I think that is the benefit of earning your salary is that you can, you can live within what you know is coming and you have the ability to, I mean, it's it's one of my belief systems, you know, put something away every month. The first month you miss it, the second and the third month you don't even know it's going and then forget about it. You know, I mean, forget about it is a, is a different concept. You know, you've got to think about it, but like try and never dip into that, leave that on the side and live with what you earn. And try and separate that. And that is actually all I did. And today, you know, it's a, it's a comfortable portfolio.
0: Your savings debit order should go off first. Uh, you shouldn't try and save what's left over at the end of the month. Because uh, in many cases there isn't a lot left over over at the end of the month. Yeah, and you know right
1: that's that's also the the benefit of just having making a pension fund contribution. It goes off your salary before it even hits your bank account. And I think many people don't realise you know how valuable that form of saving is because you and of course you know it's more difficult for entrepreneurs. But you know many people earn a salary. Um, I've always contributed the maximum that I could. And it goes off and you don't miss it because it never hits your bank account. So you never start almost to live on that money because it's, it's never there. And you just kind of cut your cloth on, on what you earn. And I think many people don't realize when you ask people, tell me about your investments, they often don't even mention their pension fund. Um, and for many people, that is the largest and biggest investment they'll ever have, you know, over time, because at least if you have a pension fund, it's there and you don't touch it. Unless, of course, you know, you dip into it, but
0: yeah so you approach uh, savings and investments within two categories the one is your pension fund that is managed by someone else there are strict rules attached to the investments of pension funds but then you also have a discretionary portfolio how do you approach the discretionary part of your savings
1: well i have never managed it myself so, I mean, you would think, you know, I've, I've spent 30 years in the financial services industry, but to be honest, I was paid a salary and spent all my time helping to manage, you know, businesses that manage clients' money. And, you know, it's a little bit like what the teacher with the, with the kids who can't, you know, do their homework or the, the cobbler in his shoes. I have never actually, um, managed my own money and it's a belief system for me You know, I've got it I've learned a few things that today have become a belief system for me on investments and the one is you know if you have a trusted advisor and someone who's an expert I mean you're very I very carefully chose the person who who does that for me in fact I have three advisors they all do different things for me simply because firstly I don't have the time they force me to have a meeting with them once a year, which means that at least once a year, you think about this and you have a proper conversation about it. And then I trust and pay them to take care of it for me. So that's the way in which, you know, I approach it. And my portfolio, the, the, the share portfolio, actually quite a bit of it is not even in direct shares. It is in, in unit trusts, but I have a deep belief and Alan Gray taught me that in equities. And in active equity management. So I can, you can, my, that portfolio is, is actively managed and all of it is in equities. In fact, when I looked last night, I was a bit surprised to see that, you know, I have almost no cash in my portfolio. I have very little bonds in my portfolio. But then I believe, you know, I've built it up over 33 years. I've never needed it. So I'm a true, true long term investor. And hopefully I have another 30, 35 years ahead of me. So, yeah, I mean, I just believe in the, that long term power of, Compound interest being in equities and, you know, the portfolio today show that.
0: But you would receive a statement once a month. Do you scrutinize the statement and the underlying investments and then compare it to your own perspectives of the investment market, or put maybe differently, do you phone those financial advisors and say, (laughs) listen, I don't think uh, currently Meta and Google is the way to go, rather other options?
1: No, I actually don't. I absolutely trust them. When we see each other, we have a conversation about what worked and what didn't work. I will give my perspective on, gee, why did we do this? And, you know, often by the time you ask the question about, you know, why was I in this or that? he can already say, well, you know, good thing we are because, you know, it's it's picking its head up. And I think that is exactly the principle. You know, when you manage your own money, you are a little bit more emotional about it. You're probably a little bit more fearful about it. And you probably end up doing exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. I mean, if I think about it, I've been an investor in the equity market through the tech bubble, through the financial crisis. I've never switched out, ever. I've never been in cash. I've never tried to time the market. And I think it is because I had a trusted advisor that helped me with it, and I wasn't involved in that portfolio myself. So I do not. I, it's long-term, and because it's long-term, I do not check that statement every month i don't
0: do you have a minimum yield expectation every year do you actually compare the performance of your portfolio with what is happening elsewhere in the market is is that something you focus on to ensure that your money is working hard enough for you
1: so it also automatically happens you know i do believe in in eating your own cooking which means that, you know, when when I worked at Alan Gray, my entire portfolio was managed by Alan Gray managers. I believe that, you know, for me to stand up and have any credibility in front of clients, I have to be a client myself. And I have to experience what our clients are experiencing. And um, when I moved to Momentum, back to Momentum Metropolitan five years ago, I, I actually moved my entire portfolio onto the Momentum platform. Firstly, you experience... Service You experience the products, you experience the communication that your clients do, so that 's also something that I believe in doing. but by doing that, of course, I have a very good feeling at all times of what the market is doing, what our own unit trust funds are doing, you know what the rest of the portfolio is doing so it 's more of a comparison of you know how does my private share portfolio stack up against the unit trust portfolio that I also have or compared to what my pension fund is doing. So that conversation I definitely have. And I, you know, I have it with myself. And then I think I'm a tough client in that sense, because when we have our conversations, I do ask, you know, the really, really tough questions around what happened here and why did you make a decision like this? I mean, the share portfolio actually is a fully discretionary portfolio, which means that my advisor there make these decisions without my signature. So there's a lot of trust involved there. And then, you know, those are interesting conversations. And I guess, you know, my expectations are always to be doing the best and for my money to work really hard. But I still leave it to him to do and to make those decisions.
0: You've just explained that you've got a very, very long term strategy, which is a good one. But investments aren't always successful. And sometimes you make poor choices. How do you approach poor investments or poor performing investments in your portfolio? How long do you hang on before you cut your losses and move to something else?
1: Yeah, so I'm a lot of things. I mean, I'm a long term investor, but I'm not a patient investor with underperformance. I guess that's maybe just my philosophy about life. You know, that's how I manage people. That is how I manage myself in terms of my career. And that is definitely the same also, you know, for For these investments but because i don't control it myself i don't make those calls and i've got to then have the conversation but i also have to trust that you know if my expert advisor says yes i know you're disappointed and yes i know but let's just go back to the reason why we're invested in either this share or this sector or even this fund manager because you know quite a large percentage of my offshore portfolio is actually managed by offshore fund managers not you know not just stocks, then it becomes a conversation and it it becomes a more rational one um, rather than maybe i think if if I was managing it myself, I might have switched out earlier and I might have been more impatient. And we know the history of value is destroyed by timing. So I think what is great about it is that balance, that I'm allowed to have the tough conversation, but there's another person with sometimes more logic on the other side of that conversation. And it helps to balance out my my impatience or my disappointment sometimes. And, you know, uh, through the years, actually that has has actually stood me in, in, in great stead because if you look at the overall portfolio together, then it's done really, really well.
0: So what do you actually own at the moment? What is the mainstay of, of your current portfolio?
1: Yeah, so it's split literally down the middle, 50, 50% offshore, 50% in South Africa. The 50% in South Africa is all in direct shares. Okay, that excludes, of course, you know, my my pension fund. I mean, that's not included there. And it's quite a diversified, or oh, it's not diversified. It's quite a kind of a large portfolio of different sheldings. My biggest shielding, of course, is NASPARS. And it's the one that through good and bad and everything else, you know, we've we've never sold one. In fact, you know, we've had that conversation. There's some Capitechs in there. Capitech has been our an early investor in Capitech as well, you know, being at PSG at that point in time. So Capitech has also, you know, done phenomenally well. Um still BAT, Richemont, you know, BHP. So some of the younger ones, you know, I'm an outsurance investor. So there's some great names in there. I mean, there's some retail and, you know, we've known retail was under quite a lot of pressure and ease. So, you know, some of them have actually, you know, detracted a little bit from the portfolio. But then I think the combination overall has has done really well. So that's half the portfolio.
0: Do you own Momentum Metropolitan?
1: Of course I do. Of course I do. Now, that's an interesting one. I mean, it, just as part of, you know, being the CEO or the incoming CEO, I have to actually own, according to my contract, my annual salary, my annual gross salary in shares, um, which I have since the day I've joined. And, um, I actually didn't have Momentum Metropolitan before I joined here, but that's now, you know, it's, it's, it's a big part of the portfolio. And over the last five years, you know, it's done reasonably well. But it hasn't done as as well as I think it could. And, you know, I suppose in a way that's now part of, you know, what I also need to take care of.
0: Did you buy it with your own money or was it one of these share option schemes?
1: No, you had to put cash down to buy in. So they paid me a bonus to join and, you know, in terms of just compensating me from what I was walking away from at my previous employer. And I committed all of that and I bought in on day one when I joined. So there was no time in the market. It was literally buy in, join and, you know, keep it up.
0: And the other half, the uh, uh, foreign uh, investment half?
1: The foreign investment half is there's a small direct share portfolio as well. You know, there's some Berkshire Hathaway's there and and some Microsofts and Googles and so forth. But the the main part of that is actually on our Momentum Wealth International platform, which is a great way to invest offshore because it's Guernsey-based. The money's fully, you know, uh, outside of, I mean, yeah, clearance, Reserve Bank clearance, the money's out. And actually over the last while, you know, um, sometimes exchange rate make an even bigger contribution to your portfolio than than even just the growth you get. So, you know, there's that too. But luckily, I never have to bring the money back. Um, on that, I mean, it's just a piece of advice. My husband is a joint life. So if I pass away, it means that the portfolio just carries on in his name. So you're never forced to at a specific point in time, repatriate your money, which is just a great way of thinking about it. And that's actually with a few offshore Fund managers, um, these managers like Fundsmith, Train, Tiro Price, Needle, So um, managers that we've carefully selected and believe are fantastic managers in the world. And the portfolio is equally spread between them. But all of them, mostly equity funds. I don't hold offshore cash or anything. So it's, it's pure equity portfolios there as well. And that's, I mean, it's a, almost 50% of my portfolio.
0: But uh, as you've said, you don't choose the underlying investments. You trust professionals to pick them for you.
1: Yeah, so on the offshore case, I mean, that is interesting. Our own um, global firm um, is a multi-manager. So they do a lot of research on offshore managers. I mean, I think... It's often hard for South African, even advisors, to know, I mean, the world is so big. And how do you even know which managers to choose? So there, my own access to really, really good research through momentum investments in in the UK has actually played quite a big role. So I can say I probably made more of a contribution there to bring the research to my advisor and say, look, here are some managers that I like because i've read the research on them and i think they're great and actually access to that kind of research is not that hard to come by and that has been also quite a stable portfolio for me in the sense that we haven't made many changes since we made those decisions up front and now it's also just a portfolio that we manage on the platform so they actually played more of a role than locally i think locally it's easier to make those choices because you just know the market better But often people investing offshore is quite scared of the choice, the myriad of choices that they have in front of them. And, you know, it's harder to make those choices. But like I say, there luckily, I think the the access to research to my own firm has helped me quite a bit to help uh, make a contribution to those choices.
0: Now the question that makes all of my guests <laughs> normally uh, giggle. You've said you've invested in NASPAS in the late 1990s. That uh, share has performed phenomenally well, as, as well as Capitec. So I'm going to leave the, the best investment would be one of those two. But what has been the worst investment you have ever made?
1: It's actually more of a, of a story that... <laughs> It it relates back to what I said up front about my dad and and his absolute aversion to debt. So when in in 2000, when I moved to Cape Town and, you know, my husband, well, he was just my boyfriend at that point in time. But we decided to buy property together. Um, I, at that exact point in time, because I left Momentum, you know, had access to my pension fund that I built up over the first 10 years. I mean, this is a terrible mistake for anyone that knows anything about investments, but let me come clean with it. So I cashed in a third of my pension fund. So I didn't preserve all of it. I cashed in a third, paid a lot of tax on it and used it as a deposit on this house that I'm sitting in right now. So we've been living in this house in Hout Bay for 23 years. And if I compare it to what my NASPAS shares did for me at that point in time, this must be the most expensive house on earth because of, firstly, you know, the loss of 10, your first 10 years in any investment is the most important because of compound interest. I cashed in. I bought the house at the same time that luckily I did some other, you know, better investments. But if you compare that today, the one decision I made myself, was the worst decision that was ever made in my 33 years of vegan investor
0: i think that is very very valuable and sometimes you don't make a mistake when you buy you make a mistake when you sell and sell for the wrong exactly. reasons but Jeanette, thank you so much for sharing your insights today and um, i'm i've picked up a few golden nuggets which um, i think other people will also be able to use and and uh, become better investors because it's not easy. There are ups and downs um, and it's always uh, key to handle the downs better than the ups. But we'll have to leave it there. Jeanette, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ray. That was Jeanette Marais. She's the CEO of Momentum Metropolitan. Show me the money. That was the Money Web Be a Better Investor podcast with Ray for Thanks for listening. Catch up and listen to all the MoneyWeb podcasts on moneyweb.co.za or the app. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.